comics, movies, music, video games, technology, Blu-ray, television. This is the HHW LOD Podcast Network. The world we know is gone. No Netflix, no iPads, no Instagram, no podcasts. In a world ruled by the dead, we are finally forced to start living. Podcast episode seventy eight. When the dead come knocking, this is John. I have only one friend in the world currently. His name is Brad. Hello, Brad. Hey, John. How's it going? Pretty well. Uh, we figured we'd get this party started. We we're expecting Jim and Jordan at least tonight. So we're gonna try to get through some of the uh, scathing iTunes reviews and emails and stuff like that, and then they'll join us and we can start up the. Review for the show. Okay. What do you want to do first? Uh, let's catch up on some emails. We had a couple that came in, I think, before this show aired. And uh, so they don't include When the Dead Come Knocking. They're more for Hounded. Was that last week's show? I believe it was. Yes, Hounded. sir. Uh, this first email is from Allison. She says, hey, guys, love the podcast. Been listening for a while. I think you guys provide outstanding analysis on the shows. I do have a comment to make about having a newborn in the show. I know it will be difficult to keep up a growing newborn as far as story time, and it might get old seeing the constant struggle for formula and other baby needs. However, I think it might have a pretty good payoff because we could actually see how a person learns about a walker-infested environment from the start of their life. For the other characters, we see how they adapt to the walkers, but in this case... It would be interesting to see how a person psychologically responds to always having known them. Just curious to what you guys think. Thanks for all the hard work. Thank you, Allison. That's a pretty interesting point. If if this show lasted long enough, or maybe they did a time jump forward to where the baby uh, becomes a little person, that might be some interesting storytelling. Yeah, I, I could see that. It would be. Um, like, uh, how could they do that? Like, Maybe at the end of one season... They kill off everybody but Rick and Carl and the baby, uh, maybe one other person, and then the next season we catch up. What five years later? Yeah, Carl. Carl may not look old enough at that point, but then again, he might. And uh, maybe we see a five-year-old kid running around, um, and all he's ever known is is zombie life. That she. Might, that might. I think it's a little girl. You're right. You're right. Judith, as we learn in this episode. Um, Don't tell Jordan we skipped ahead. Okay. Uh. It might be interesting to actually see that. Uh, that would that would take some creative uh, thinking on on how to get it done right. But yeah, it would it would very much be uh, interesting to see somebody who all they've known is a zombie infested world. And I would think the adults would try to bring some 
normalcy to the childhood to not rob her of whatever they could give her in terms of a normal life, like trying to make things as normal as possible when possible. Sure. I mean, you can't, you can't, I mean, I guess you could, I was going to say you can't raise a, a child in a, in a world like that and expect it to live long if you don't give it something worth living for, you know, I guess who knows, man, that just thinking about my kids having to grow up in that kind of world is really depressing. And Brad, as we promised, we are, Joined by our first new friend, Mr. Jordan from Jersey, Dr. Esquire. Hello. Welcome, Jordan. Hey, guys. How's it going? Good. We were just reading some emails. Allison wrote in and asked us, well, she mentioned that even though dragging the baby around could be boring now, it would be really interesting if we got the chance for the child to grow up a little bit and we got a perspective on you know, somebody who was born into this world rather than a person who is adapting to the walkers and the apocalypse and everything like everyone else has to. Right. So that could be possible interesting storytelling, I guess, if they did a fast-forward between seasons or if it lasts that long. Heck, with the ratings the way they are, it'll probably have 15 seasons or so. <laughs> yeah, although I don't know if it's worth waiting for that particular storyline, although it could be interesting. But uh, I think uh, Time Jump would probably be uh, more likely if, it, if we were, in fact, going in that direction. Right. Uh, we have another email from Meg. She says, Dear Podcast Guys, that's us. Uh, as I said on a past voicemail that you so kindly played, I love the podcast. I like how the TV show of late is getting somewhat mixed reviews from all of you. No one is hating it, but there are still some threes on the panel. Uh, sorry about this. I don't remember your names <laughs> or I'd name you. Well, we're very forgettable. Uh, she. This is pretty interesting, so I'm going to read this pretty much in full. Uh, here's a thought I wanted to share and run by you all. Ready? Daryl could be gay. I don't believe I've seen him connect with anyone in a physical way, and the hints at romance with Carol are just that. Hints, and he tends to politely brush her aside. I think Daryl's my favorite character, and part of his appeal is his complexity. Freak abusive brother, dead mom, who was possibly also abusive. Uh, diligent and relentless search for Sophia, loyalty to Rick and the gang. Sweetness with the kids, etc., etc. Uh, but yet he's a full-on badass. None of this screams gay. But wouldn't it be awesome if he is? I think so. I also think there is no Daryl in the comic to make comparisons to. Uh, she likes that there's no Daryl in the comic to make comparisons to. Uh, keep on podcasting because you're doing a super job. Thank you, Meg. Uh, I, I don't know. I don't think they're going that route, but that would be some interesting turn of events if, uh, if Daryl ended up gay. Yeah, I mean, I, it wouldn't bother me in any way. I think that would actually kind of be pretty cool, but... The impression I've gotten from some of the interviews I've seen or read online is that not so much that he's gay, it's that he's more asexual. He's kind of in a state of arrested development due to the abuse from his brother, at least his mom being dead growing up. I don't know if we've ever gotten specific word on where his father was, but that he almost doesn't know how to react to that kind of thing. It's When he sees Carol, it's more of a mother figure to replace the mother who isn't there than it is anything sexual, just because, like I said, state of arrested development. He just has not matured in that area. All he has is his brawn. He doesn't have an angle there at all. Or maybe he's got his head on straight and realizes there's more important things right now, like surviving. Yeah, rather than doing it in the watchtower. Well, that's dumb. I'm just saying. <laughs> I'm just messing with you. 
All right, so thank you, everyone, for the emails. Uh, anybody else can email us at comments at walkingdeadtv.com. Uh, there's also a voicemail line. We didn't get any voicemails this week for the first time in a while. We'd like to get back on that as soon as possible, 516-468-7912. Brad, I believe you have uh, the aforementioned scathing iTunes reviews to read. I do. Uh, we got three new iTunes reviews. I wish Jim was here for one of them. The first one I'm going to read because uh, this one references him, but uh, we'll let him uh, listen to it when he listens to the show. Uh, Christina Vanderpool gave us four stars. A good show, she says. I listened to four different Walking Dead podcasts, and yours yours is one of my favorites. I must say, one of the guys on your show that has that deep baritone voice reminds me of Hellboy. Does he look like Hellboy, too? Uh, Jim does not look like Hellboy. Although he is very tall. Or Ron Perlman. He is tall. Well, yes. Uh, He's much more handsome than Ron Perlman is. I like the comparison of the comic to the show and any spoiler alerts that you may have. Happy Thanksgiving. We hope you had a good Thanksgiving, Christina. Thank you for that. Yes. Uh, Tortimers says, an okay podcast, three stars. I used to love to listen to this podcast, but have unsubscribed and I'm done with it. For some people, I would still think they would enjoy the podcast. For me, there was one, sometimes two of the guys that nitpick everything, and I just don't <laughs> want to listen to that anymore. I think, John, that's I think that's probably you and me. Okay. Uh, uh, I didn't mind as much with Season 2 because I did think there were a few problems with The Walking Dead. Season 3 has been great, and I want to listen to a podcast that has people that wants to discuss the show which actually like the show. I do think you should give it a try, though, because many of the guys are great to listen to, and most people wouldn't be as critical as myself. Would you guys want to listen to a show, a podcast about a show you like that has, where everybody has the same viewpoint, or would you rather listen to a show where there are varying viewpoints to give you different ways of looking at it? Uh, To be honest, if I was really into something... I probably wouldn't want to hear people nitpick it. <laughs> to, be, okay. to be completely honest, and and when I got to my low point this season, I'm sure you'll all remember me saying that if it doesn't get better, I promise I'll resign because I'm I'm aware of of that. Um, at the same time, I'm not going to let stuff go or lie if I didn't like something. I mean, what's the point of doing a podcast if you can't say what you feel? I mean, right. I generally prefer when I listen to podcasts like this one, ones with a specific subject in mind. I, I prefer a mixed opinion. However, in general, whether it be movies, TV, music, whatever, just life in general, I'm not a huge fan of excessive negativity. So I, I like mixed, but just not you know completely negative. That does turn me off. And to be fair, I mean, I don't think... And anyone... I, don't, I don't think you guys have gone that far. I'm, yeah. I, I, I want to be clear. I mean, I think the lowest we've ever given anything is like a two and a half, which is like an average episode. Well, I mean, there are times when all I want to do is pick something apart and call it stupid and, and nitpick it. I, I, I admit that. Um, there are times when I, you know, speak favorably of, of an episode. But um, I can understand why somebody wouldn't want to listen to... A bunch of whiny babies. I get it. I totally get it. Our last uh, review says, Not bad. Three stars. (laughs) Lady Isabella says, Good podcast. You guys need to learn how to take constructive criticism. (laughs) Calling people names. Listen. Calling people names like Pud and making fun of their username does not make you look very good. I agree with those reviewers who say your podcast is rather dry at times. 
in our defense, uh, Isabella, we did not use the word PUD first. We merely repeated it. Isn't that correct? Does my memory serve? That is correct. Okay. However, but, you know, we did use it, so we were being silly at the time, I think. I, I think I was the one that said it, and I think I was the one that made fun of someone's username, uh, Terranova fan. But, you know, uh, you think we're dry? Last week we I, were. I, I, yeah, I think there there's the occasionally dry uh, episode. But I do like, whether you listeners believe it or not, I do like constructive criticism. Um, I think maybe some of the things that I say is, is probably my attempt to be funny about it. And I fully admit that I am not the funniest person in the world. But uh, we take all kinds of criticism uh, seriously. And, you know, we listen to it. Whether we agree with it or not is, I guess, for each of us to decide for our own. But um, I I welcome comments like this. And, uh, you know, I'm always looking for ways to improve my podcasting personality. Not necessarily successful at all times. I'll admit that. But I thank you for any and all criticism related to uh, any show that I'm that I'm a part of. I'm going to read an email that I was going to skip, if that's okay. <laughs> yeah. Does, now it, I does it fit in here? Yeah, sure. It's from Angel again. She okay. says, yes, uh, iTunes Terra Nova fan, major pud. Uh, from what I recall, <laughs> you guys usually say that after the official podcast ends, you'll be talking about the comics and maybe giving some spoilers. You warn us it's not your fault that puds do not listen well. Thank you again for for uh, Angel for sending that email. Um, so it's not us. I mean, I'm just reading the emails. Anywho. Listeners have our back. <laughs> it's all in fun. I mean, geez. Yeah. It's not like we're getting paid to talk about this, and it's not like you know we're an authority on it. We're fans of the show who have computers with microphones, basically, and a Skype account. And too much free time, although not really on, enough. On occasion, yeah. So before we get to the real action, which I'm sure everybody has skipped forward on their uh, listening device to try to find, this episode is sponsored once again by DCBService.com. DCBS Comic Book Service. Get all your Walking Dead stuff from them. You're crazy to walk into, you know, a brick-and-mortar bookstore and try to pick up trades or hardcovers or... Stuff like that. You're going to pay full price there. DCBS is going to get you 30 40 50% off even. Uh, you throw in the code WD8, and they'll throw an extra 8% discount on if you have never ordered through them before. Again, all of the Walking Dead books, the mugs, the T-shirts. I found a very cool Daryl Dixon T-shirt this month. Uh, it is Daryl facing the person who is looking at the t-shirt pointing a gun and it says sorry brother and it's the shot from daryl uh ending the life of dale so very cool t-shirt uh lots of good walking dead gifts on dcbservice.com all their new marvel and dc hardcover books are 50 percent off you can do a lot of holiday shopping there and uh save a lot of dough dcbservice.com we thank them as always jordan let her rip Alrighty, episode 307 is titled When the Dead Come Knocking. Uh, we start pretty much where we left off, just uh, over at Woodbury instead of the prison, where Merle is interrogating Glenn, who's tied to a chair with duct tape, because it can do anything. Uh, he wants to know where the group is, uh, he wants to know more about his brother, he wants to know pretty much anything, and Glenn doesn't talk much, but unfortunately the one of the few things he does say is, we're coming for you, 
uh, Rick, Jim, Andrea, and as soon as he says Andrea, Merle realizes that he can no longer trust what Glenn says. Uh, they, they fight some, and in the next room, we can see that Maggie is listening in on the whole thing uh, from the from the chair that she's tied to in the next room. And when you say they fight some, you mean that uh, Merle punches the crap out of him. Well, Glenn headbutts Merle. Headbutts him Merle once, headbutts yes. him back. <laughs> there, there is some back and forth, but it's mostly Glenn getting the crap beaten out of him. I thought that um, Michael Rooker did a great job without saying anything as soon as Glenn said Andrea. And you just kind of see his face light up like, oh, really? So that was a good scene. I enjoyed that. I was trying to figure out why that mattered to to uh, Merle. It can get a little confusing who knows who. Like, was Andrea there with the people on the roof, or was, you know, Maggie doesn't know any of them. Maybe she was told about Merle and stuff we kind of figured out, but it does get a little... Sometimes you have to stop and think, like, who was where when this happened in season one and stuff like that. Well, I think the point is... Glenn's tongue, we've got this big force coming for you. Right, exactly. And he names someone that Merle knows specifically is not in that force because she's busy screwing the governor. So uh, he knows Glenn is lying to him. Right. If he lied about her being there, it might not be 10. It could be 3. It could be 50. You know, he's just... And Glenn was lying about at least two other names because he right, mentioned Jim, Jim and Shane. Mentioned, yep. Yeah, so Glenn, uh, Glenn put it on a little thick. Now, did he tell him... Th- I think he told him T-Dog was gone before that. Uh, yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, but he didn't. It's not like he mentioned T Dog in that list of people, but yeah, he didn't say him in the list. But Merle said, you know, what about T Dog? And Glenn said he didn't make it. And Merle said something like, "I hope he suffered." You know, your typical mean thing to say. So then we head back over to the prison, and we see uh, Michonne still outside the gate. She's uh, she's starting to bleed more profusely, and she uh, the zombies start to notice because of the smell of the blood. So she has to take out a few of them, but she passes out. Uh, and we see a few shots from her perspective as the zombies are getting closer. But then Carl starts gunning down the zombies. Rick runs over, grabs the keys, opens up the door, and they move her into the prison. Uh, inside the prison, Michonne wakes up, and Rick is immediately, you know, what's your name? What are you doing here? He grabs her wound uh, for a second and applies pressure. Uh, she is not happy with this treatment. And for a few minutes at least, you know, they lock her in there. She's upset. Herschel comes in. Uh, patches her up, and it eventually gets smoothed over, but it, it did not begin well, let's put it that way. Right. Don't you think she knows who these people are that Andrea has told her about this group, and can't she put two and two together and go, oh, that's Rick? Yeah, when they were when they were sort of muscling her, you know, pointing the crossbow at her and the gun and everything, I was yeah. waiting for her to start naming them to, like, freak them out. Yeah. Like, why don't you lower that, Rick? You know, like something to that effect. Yeah, <laughs> I would have expected her to to say maybe she's you know playing her the card her cards close to the chest. Is that the phrase? To the vest. Yeah, and, and I I think that's yeah. that's pretty much what it is. I mean, a she's you know she's a very smart person. She's an attorney. She she only says what she has to. But b I mean, I mean we keep talking all Michonne. She's one of the great members of the group. We love Michonne, but she is not at this point at least on their side necessarily. She's out for revenge on Merle. And she wants to get back in there, possibly to get Andrea out. But she's not giving them any information that they don't need to have because she is not on their side yet. She might be working with them at the moment, but who knows that she plan? Who knows whether or not she plans on actually joining this group in her own head when this is all over? Yeah, I definitely got the feeling from her 
actions at Woodbury. Now, it might, it might have something to do with the governor being nuts and her realizing it, but it seems like she's more content with being alone on the road than, you know, being closed in with any group of people, I would think. Right. If they get to Woodbury and all of a sudden they start recognizing people and it turns into a big cluster F and people start shooting, that might actually be better for her because then she can get Merle uh, while there's a big distraction going on. So... Uh, I, I can I can see her reasons for doing it. I could also see reasons for her actually telling them, but she just chose not to. Uh, before Herschel comes in and patches her up, uh, Daryl comes in and calls everybody over, so that's when they lock her in, and uh, he reintroduces Carol to the group. She at first congratulates Rick on the baby, uh, then she realizes that Lori's not there, and they share a, a good cry, which is, I guess, the first time that Rick and Carl and, and the rest of the group have gotten to grieve for Lori together, so that was a, a, actually a pretty good scene. Yeah, I really enjoyed the the nonverbal acting on the on uh, Carol and Rick's part. Yeah, particularly Carol's. Yeah, just yeah. her kind of wordlessly realizing what was going on. Yeah, I thought that was well done. So we head back over to Woodbury, where uh, the governor is woken up by Milton, or at least disturbed by Milton, and he comes out in the robe again. He loves that robe. Milton tells him that Mister Coleman is just about ready, and so they don't tell her anything, but they say, "Andrew, you're going to go help help Milton." With this project, the governor brings her over and then leaves, and we see that there is a elderly man uh, lying in a bed being fed a soup or something soup-like by Milton. Yeah, this had me wondering exactly what kind of experiment, or I actually thought he was going to use him to feed his daughter. Ew. Like, I thought for a minute maybe, like, he was taking sick and dying or elderly, you know, people that weren't going to be around long and using them to feed her. Because she has to feed, I would think, right? Well, Milton did say it takes a really, really long time for them to starve to death, so... Yeah. Well, anyway, that's that when often. I saw him, that's what I thought they were, they were going, but obviously they weren't. And plus, she just had probably the helicopter pilot's body <laughs> recently. You know, that kind of stuff. Yes. A Thanksgiving feast. I had absolutely no clue what was going on. Yeah, it starts out kind of weird, but I, I like yeah. the way it played out in general, especially once they started explaining some of the weirder aspects like the singing bowl and stuff. You know, that Milton, he's pretty stupid for a smart guy, as we find out. Well, I don't know if I'd say stupid, but certainly reckless. Did not, not, did not listen to uh, instruction very well. Uh, we head back to the prison where Michonne finally tells the group, you know, uh, Asian guy and, uh, and his girlfriend or whatever were kidnapped. That's why I came here. They were talking about the prison. And uh, that's why she brought the, the, the baby supplies and stuff. Uh, she tells him about Woodbury. She says it's town about 75. T tells him about the governor. Not too much, though. Just, you know, that he, he's a you know, pretty boy and a Jim Jones type, which was a pretty good, pretty good call there. And uh, she offers to help them go in and breach the perimeter of the town of Woodbury. I didn't love the acting job uh, by Denai Guerra. Um, I don't know, something about the cadence or the way it was delivered. For a second, I was like, ah, that's why she doesn't talk much. Um, it wasn't terrible. Something took me out of it for a minute, though. I, I don't think I, I can't really put my finger on it. I think what bothered me about this was I, I would have assumed there would have been much more sharing of information on her part. You know, like, um, I know all about you people. Again, it, it goes back to the, you know, keeping as much information to herself and saying as little as possible, but you would have thought that at this point, what's it going to hurt her to say, I know who you people are. Andrea is still alive. She's in this town. You know, he meant, she mentions uh, Woodbury. I'm not sure when and where, but she doesn't mention 
Andrea at all, and she knows good and well that these are the people that Andrea was with. Why wouldn't why wouldn't she bring up Andrea? Well, she may assume they're the same people. I, we don't know necessarily how much information she had about them, but again, you know, we keep assuming she's on their side, and from my perspective, she isn't, at least not yet. She is on Team Michonne. These people are means to an end at this point. And what was the st- what was Andrea's state of mind when they split up? I- I'm tr- in other words, I'm trying to think of what maybe Andrea had been telling Michonne about the group. She wasn't on real great terms with everybody all of last season. Yeah, Andrea might have told her not too flav- favorable things about the group. Right. That's, that's true. I hadn't thought of it that way. And as far as as far as Andrea is concerned, you know, she could look at it like. Well, we got split up, and they didn't come back for me, so they just wrote me off. Right, and they did that to Merle, too. So they're they're leaving people behind all the time. Yeah. Plus, they started that interaction out by Rick sticking his finger in her gunshot wound, which is not the best way to start things. So I would probably be on edge as well. So eventually, it's worked out that Rick, Daryl, Oscar, and Michonne are going to go to try and rescue Glenn and Maggie. So they load up a car with weapons. They got some flashbang grenades, some stuff they've scavenged from the prison. And uh, this is when you know we finally get a scene between Rick and Carl, where he pulls him aside, and uh, he basically says, I'm so sorry that you had to do what you had to do. I understand you did a good job, I understand, but uh, I'm so sorry you were in that position. Uh, and then they finally name the baby. The baby's name is Judith, which is the same from the comics. And then the rescue team departs. I think uh, one thing I, I may have missed when you said it, I, b- I believe it's when Michonne is explaining what's going on at, at Woodbury. Uh, and I think at one point she said there's sentries at every gate. I literally laughed out loud thinking of the girl from last episode. <laughs> they can't even shoot the arrow. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, I mean, it's going to be an interesting fight, to say, the, to say the least, because the governor may have numbers. But And we'll get into a little bit more as the episode progresses, because there's a specific conversation I want to pull out. But they have the numbers. They don't necessarily have the skill. And our group does not have the numbers, but they definitely have the skills. What was that girl's name? Emily? Uh, Melody? Something like that. Something. She's no century. And we're now joined by the illustrious Mr. Jim Dietz. Sorry, I got hung up at a Woodbury PTA meeting. It was kind of a bad scene. Those can get nasty. Oh, yeah. You don't want to go. You don't want to go to that. I don't want to go to any PTA meeting. None of the drinks are cold, and it's just lukewarm everything. Plus, it's a PTA meeting. And I don't think Milton's a very good bartender. Jim, you'll have to listen to the beginning of our show because uh, I read an iTunes review in which you were referenced. I hope it was something nice this time. Yes. It was. It was the only nice thing. Yes. Time. Brad and I got <laughs> yeah. bashed this week. You're, yeah. You had nice ones. Whoa, I dodged the bullet. Good good times. You like Hellboy, yes? I like Hellboy, yeah. Okay, good. You'll have to check out the beginning. Oh, I sure will. So back in Woodbury... Uh, we are kind of more introduced to Mr. Coleman. He's a very old man. He's dying of terminal cancer. And like I said before, he's lying in a hospital bed. The governor thanks Mr. Coleman for his service, but then he leaves. And then Milton begins. He has uh, Andrea start a record player on his mark. But before that, he he takes this, this bowl and, and uh, rolls a metal stick around the lip of the bowl. And we later are told this is what is called a singing bowl, but it gives off a very resonant tone. It's kind of like when you take your finger and run it around the top of a champagne glass. Yeah, they're very similar, but a little bit more metallic and, and very resonant. It went on for five or six seconds, I think. And after that sound stops, or as it's stopping, he tells Andrea to start the record player so they have a song playing. 
And then he tells Mr. Coleman, okay, raise your right hand if you recognize any of the following statements to be true. Your name is Michael Coleman. Raise his hand. Uh, he then puts up pictures of some of the man's family members who have passed away. This is your wife. This is your son. This is your daughter, etc. And every time Mr. Coleman lifts his right hand. So they're clearly doing some type of experiment. I was going to say, couldn't Andrea at this point just have told Milton about Amy and that he's wasting his time? Well, even at the end of this episode, this, the experiment is inconclusive. It did not fail. It's simply inconclusive. She, I think at this point, he purposely has not really let on to his experiment, right? Like, he's he's reading him the questions, but he, has he said yet, like, then when he dies, we're going to see if no, he can not still answer the question. Right, he, he hasn't said that yet. So Andrew's kind of like, huh, at this point? Like, she's not really sure what's going on at all. Uh, back in the Woodbury dungeon, uh, Glenn is still refusing to reveal the group's location. So Merle goes out and comes back with a walker, uh, makes some racist jokes, and leaves the walker in there with Glenn still duct-taped to the chair. And we get a ex- awesome extended fight sequence with Glenn tied to this chair, defending himself from the zombie, f- trying to find a way to break loose, eventually breaking loose, and killing the zombie just in the nick of time. Uh, go, Glenn. Yeah, that was pretty cool. This is a great scene, well choreographed. The camera angles are great, just incredible amount of tension. Just like very believable, him like using like that bed spring to keep the zombie at bay and the, the table itself, like just you know, trying to grasp at anything to, to keep the walker away from him and to survive. And then after he kills the walker, he lets out that war cry, that scream, like after the walker is dead. And it was just uh that was just chilling. That was awesome. Great great work by Stephen New here. Yeah, I really liked his uh his howl of victory, or probably a little bit of victory, a little bit of tension releasing, like, I can't believe I almost just died, one of those type of deals. That was a good scene. And then I forget what review it was from, but they they pointed out that, you know, after he lets out that scream, the camera lingers for a few more seconds, and we see on his face as he realizes, even though he killed the zombie, he's still a prisoner in that room. He's not dead at the moment, but he's just kind of uh, protracted things a bit. So we head back to the lab, where Milton tells Andrea what's going on. He says he's trying to determine whether there is any trace memory left behind after the after people die, so it's just the zombie can it remember things, which is something we've talked about many times on the show. And uh, like Jim said, she's very against it. She doesn't tell him the story of Amy, but she basically says that's nonsense. It's never going to work. Uh, once they're dead, they're dead. Doesn't she say something like, you've never actually seen anybody turn, have you? Right, and we find out that uh, he apparently telecommuted. All of his family was uh, had predeceased him, and he didn't have a lot of friends. Go figure. So then uh, they are... I don't think they actually quite begin the second experiment by the time he dies. Uh, and then that they wait for him to turn at that point, after they strap him into the bed. Yeah, and he even has a hard time steadying his hands enough to buckle the straps, which is a bad sign. <laughs> yeah, Mac, uh, Andrea has to do it for him. So then we head to the governor, and the governor talks to Merle for a bit. They discuss the fact that uh, Glenn has not cooperated, and Merle states that he's gotten very ticked off at Glenn at this point. And so the governor says he's going to question Maggie himself, and this was, for me at least, and and opinions may differ, a very difficult scene to watch what happens next. Um, You know, we try to stay away from comic spoilers, let's just say the comic was different, uh, but there was a similar scene that went farther, and I don't know if I would have been able to keep watching it if it had gone any further than it did in the show. It was very dark, and uh, for television, this was quite disturbing. It was disturbing, but I mean, I'm like as desensitized as they get. Like, <laughs> it really, it really didn't disturb me. Um, it was a good scene. I was thinking 
before this, Merle's pretty lucky that that walker didn't kill Glenn. The governor would have been pissed at him. Well, they still have Maggie. Yeah, but they lose all their leverage. Uh, quite possibly true. But uh, Merle is not exactly the most forward-thinking person. No. No, I'm just saying from that, you know, from the reaction that the governor gave Merle in their conversation afterward, imagine if Merle had to say, yeah, I killed the uh, Asian boy. <laughs> I sent the walker in there and he ate him. That wouldn't have went over very well. I think this was also where it was brought up, which I thought was interesting. Uh, the, the governor basically says, you're brothers with these people. I question whether you're going to be loyal when they show up. And then we've talked a lot about the opposite. You know, what side's Daryl going to choose? But I, have we ever discussed what side Merle might choose when they get back together? I think we were all pretty much assuming that, you know, it's his side or nobody's side. He has such a hate on for Rick for what they did to him. I mean, he, he transfers some of that hate to Glenn in this episode, obviously, for, you know, leaving them there on that roof, you know, chained, chained to that pipe or whatever, that I don't think we even considered him, you know, coming to Rick's side uh, because he, you know, he just, you know, he, he took away his hand. You know, he, he, he owes, uh, you know, he owes Merle a hand as far as Merle is concerned. And but if he can view it more as Daryl's side and not Rick's side for at least a few minutes, could that change things? Hey, anything that has uh, more Michael Rooker in the show is is okay by me. I think he's incredible. I think this episode really, really shows why. Um, Getting back to what you were saying about the scene with Maggie and the governor, I think it was almost more disturbing that they weren't that graphic with it. You know what I mean? In the comic, it was very graphic. And in here, it wasn't so much. But I think not going that extra mile or whatever to actually... You know, show it as graphic as the comic was is almost more disturbing in its own way. It was all psychological here. Yeah, and there was one line where the governor said, "Either do what I say, or I bring Glenn's hand in here." You know, and when he said that, I was like, "Dang, this guy is not messing around. He's, you know, he's not afraid to to show his bad side to the the people that aren't part of his town, his group anyway." Um, I think to me that was a sign of. Yeah, he's pretty much going to dispose of these two when he's done with them. And the way the show is going, with how different it's been from the book and how many characters have died recently, I mean, I would not have been totally shocked had they killed off one or both of these characters, um, Glenn and Maggie, in this episode or next episode. It's it's one of those things where I I, I was on the edge of my seat. It definitely could have happened. It still can happen. I almost halfway expected to actually see him bring a hand into the room and leaving us and Maggie, you know, is that really Glenn's hand? One of those type of deals. Uh, so to keep it short and family friendly, uh, as family friendly as possible in the description of the scene, uh, he walks in and at first he's doing the good cop routine. He cuts her bonds so she can, uh, she can stand up and move her hands. Uh, he asks her, you know, the same stuff they've been asking Glenn, where are your people, etc. And, uh, when she refuses to tell him, he has her partially disrobe he sexually assaults her and threatens her with rape. She basically says, do your worst, um, do what you're going to do. And then he stops short there and realizes, it, at least in his mind, it's not going to work that particular route. And the scene ends and goes to commercial. But it's very dark and very disturbing and very protracted, even though I'm you know, discussing it as briefly as possible. Something we talked about a couple episodes ago, too, on The Walking Dead is how far this show, show really goes. I mean, compared to other shows as far as showing graphic violence, gore, and, uh, and you know, these kind of situations. I mean, for, for a basic cable show, I mean, they really pushed the envelope. And you know what? This is a, a little bit off the subject, so I'll, I'll try to be brief. But 
I, I really think they started a trend with the popularity of this show because I've totally noticed more violence in the graphic nature in things like Sons of Anarchy and, uh, you know, your other FX and, and cable shows that are probably trying to follow the model a little bit. I mean, they don't have zombies. It's not going to be a zombie show. But I think I've seen the effect of how popular this show is on other things that I've been watching. Yeah, although Sons of Anarchy has always been pretty violent. I oh, have you watched behind. this season? No, I'm, I'm like two or three seasons yeah. behind at this point. But I remember, wasn't well, there an episode where they burned somebody alive? It's escalating. Okay. <laughs> I, will, I will take your word for it, absolutely. But uh, yeah, for sure, when, once you have a trendsetter that's pushing the envelope, other things can then follow uh, its example and also push the envelope. So yeah, that, that does not surprise me in, in any sense. So we then cut back to Rick and the group. And uh, they are they they get to this to close to Woodbury. They're about a mile away, I think. Uh, Michonne says they exit the vehicle so they can approach uh, silently. When they are surprised by a group of what first seems like only a few zombies, but it quickly becomes more and more and more. Like it's been mentioned a few times, this area is considered the quote unquote uh, red zone, so it is not a safe place to be for any amount of time. Uh, so they fight through the zombies as best they can, and they end up at this. I don't know if shack's necessarily the, the right word. It seems bigger than what I think of as a shack, but definitely a rundown kind of cabin building. They rush inside, they find a dead dog, and then they find uh, a hobo, a hermit, a, a crazy man sleeping who wakes up when they come in, uh, points a gun at Rick, and demands to see his badge or he's going to call the police. That was really bizarre. I it was so strange. I, I wouldn't say bad, just weird. Was he? Do you think he was... Out, like out cold sleeping or do you think he was just trying to like basically play dead and see if they didn't you know see him uh, I think may- maybe he thought if they couldn't see him but he wasn't how actually could you, there how could you sleep through that though uh, he was a crazy man I don't know like I said very bizarre I kind of took him I kind of took him to be kind of like a Unabomber survivalist type guy like he, he was so far out in the woods and off the grid that he that's why he didn't know that anything else had happened you know, any of the zombie stuff had happened. I, I th- thought it kind of stretched the limits of incredul- incredulity, though, um, that he wouldn't have noticed, like, s- strange people wandering around the woods trying to eat his brains, you know, or that a walker wouldn't have sniffed him out by now. I didn't get the impression that he actually didn't realize there were zombies. I got the impression he did, because when they said walkers, I don't think he said anything along the lines of, what are you talking about? But he and it, either did not realize society had actually collapsed. There was a dead um, dog in his living room, correct? Yeah, clearly things were not right with him. <laughs> things were very off. Uh, but uh, they, they, he runs for the door where all the zombies are, uh, at the front door, and before he can go out and throw them, himself into them, either knowingly or unknowingly, uh, Michonne spins around, she stabs him through the heart, so at least he dies quickly, and then uh, they throw him out into the zombies and escape through the back door. Yeah, it's rough to be an old hermit in the woods, huh? That's probably true most of the time. Zombies are no. Yeah, but you don't get run through the heart with a katana most of the time. <laughs> At the sake of uh, being the nitpicker, did you guys think the CGI was on par this episode? Uh, I don't even remember there being much CGI. Oh, there was. in the beginning. A lot of the things that get stuck through heads are uh, are CGI, obviously. I don't know, a few, a few times this episode I was like, eh, that one was a little... Week. I know, Brad, you have a, your eyes tuned to that sort of thing. Did you notice any of those? Yeah, I mean, of course, I saw a few that I went, that wasn't 
It's a fun, it's a fine line. I mean, we all sure. want action on the show, and they're not going to be able to do great CGI or practical effects every week. So it's kind of something you have to, you know. I still think that it's as far as the effects go, they're they're very well done. Um, it, this is no. Uh, What's that movie studio that rips off movies and makes cheap versions of them? Is that Asylum? Yes, I think you're yeah. exactly right. This is no Asylum movie production. I mean, these and those special effects are absolutely horrible or horrible, as they would say in Spanish. But uh, th- these these are far from horrible. But you know, the nitpicky side of it is that yeah, maybe they could have spent a little more time on that particular kill shot or, or whatever but they're still very very believable in the context of the fact that we're watching the about, show about zombies yeah <laughs> yeah i think uh, the only time the cgi stands out for me is when i notice it's cgi um i know you got i i mean brad's a professional you know in the profession and and john's probably watched more movies than i've forgotten about so you guys are probably a little more in tune to it than i am but this season i really haven't you know i, I haven't really noticed you know um you know, a dip in the quality of the CGI. And that's probably that's probably a good thing. I mean, if everybody watching it was going, well, that looked fake. Why does this look fake? You know, this show sucks. It looks fake. You know, then they're not going to have a successful show. But then again, my wife has made me watch, like, pretty much every sci-fi CGI movie, like, you know, Sharktopus and uh, Mega Shark <laughs> versus Giant Octopus and, you know, all those. So. Octopus. Oh, no. Was wait. one of those a sequel to the other one? <laughs> I don't know. That, uh, I believe so, actually. Mario Shark and Giant Octopus had Debbie Gibson and Tiffany and had Debbie Gibson playing an oceanographer. So. Yeah, that's zombies are more believable than that, I think. I'm just going to add that yep. to my Netflix. Yeah, put that in your queue. <laughs> Everybody put that in your instant queue right away. I mean, How do you spell Sharktopus? <laughs> it's a yeah, capital just P. Just how it sounds. Just like it sounds. <laughs> it's a hyphen. I think Jim was the one who specifically said it's not like there's been a dip, and I agree. I think, if anything, there's just been an increase in the number of CGI shots per episode this that's season. It. That's it. So you're going to notice point. more because yes. there are just more of them. Yep. They have to – it's just – it's a – again, we want the action. They might have to be a little more careful with show something from the other angle so you don't have to come up with four CGI shots in a 30-second scene. You know what I mean? Like, you're right. It's the quantity that is the – issue not that the quality is changing and i'd rather have quantity in that as long as it's passable than a few ones that you're just like how did they do it you know so we head back to milton's lab where uh it's some time has passed we don't know exactly how much but it looks like milton had fallen asleep so at least some period of time um and mr coleman wakes up and they recite the cues again but and i I thought about this even before it happened but they strap his arms down i'm like well he's not gonna be able to raise his hand and that's pretty much exactly what happens there doesn't seem to be a... Well, Andrea doesn't think there's a reaction. Milton thinks there might be because uh, zombie Mr. Coleman is moving his hand, whether or not it's just zombie uh, instincts or whether it's memory is left into the eye of the beholder. It looked to me like his he was clenching his fist. So so Milton goes in and says, oh, we'll just you know unshackle the right hand and then he'll be able to do it. And I think this experiment will be a success. Andrea says, you're an idiot. He's going to lunge forward and try to bite you. Milton says he's going to risk it, so he, he leans over, he unshackles the right wrist, and of course the zombie comes right at him, and is just about to bite him when Andrea knifes the zombie in the head. So, experiment inconclusive. There's some nice choreography in that scene, a lot of good timing of, of movements, and Andrea coming in just at the last minute. I thought it was, it was well done. I think I'd yeah. like to record my findings while they're fresh. 
Yeah. And by that, I mean go change my underwear. Yeah, exactly. I'm going to go put my brown pants on. (laughs) (laughs) I had a professor that used to say that all the time. He was a history professor. And any time he talked about something like big happening, he would say, and then the president said, I'm going to go put my brown pants on. (laughs) See, folks, how is this dry? No. Anyway, so we cut back over to the Woodbury Dungeon, Population 7. And Merle brings Maggie, who is still uh, half-disrobed, into Glenn's room. And they say, we're done playing games. Uh, the governor says, one of you is going to give up your camp. Uh, he first pulls out his gun, and it looks like he's going to point it at Maggie. But instead, he walks over to Glenn, and uh, Maggie finally breaks at that point. She says, prison. Uh, she tells him how many survivors there are, that they cleared out the walkers. Uh, Merle says he thinks it's the prison over by Noonan, Georgia. Uh, again, another shout-out to Noonan. Yay! And uh, apparently, the governor was fully aware of this place, as was Merle, but Merle had told the governor that with the people they had and the skill they had, it would be impossible to take that prison. They would just lose too many people. And the governor says, well, it looks like your theory's been debunked. And then the governor walks over to Maggie and kind of embraces her, pats her head, says, oh, you know, shh, it's going to be okay. It's super creepy. And then he throws her over at Glenn. I like that they did it this way because after what Glenn just went through, it was so believable that, like, the governor knew he wasn't going to be able to break Glenn. So, obviously, Maggie was the weak link Although, here. I think if he had pointed the gun at Maggie, Glenn would have broke. I think it just happened to, you know, she got the first chance with, you know, being put, having the other person's life put in their hands. Yeah, I guess, I guess after what Glenn went through, trying Maggie first was probably... A good choice, but whatever. It, it it worked for the scene. I am glad that they explained that they didn't know that prison was there because that was kind of something I was wondering about. That you know they they cleared this area enough to like make a red zone, as it were. And I'm willing to let the guy in the shack go, like they didn't know he was there. But when they they get out of the car, Michonne is like, "Oh, they have patrols like within a mile radius of Woodbury all the time." And you know that's where they find the guy in the shack. You think the patrols would have known about the shack, maybe? But um. I mean, it just seemed like, you know, I'm glad they shouted that out because it, it would have seemed uh, weird for them not to know that prison was there this whole time if they were as organized as they are. I think that little conversation there also answers a, a lingering question that was posed earlier in the show a few episodes back. Um, and if you guys had already come to this conclusion, then congratulations. But um, I like concrete evidence, I guess. Um, there was a scene where few episodes back when Carol was practicing uh, a C-section on a zombie and we saw somebody watching from the woods. Right. We had posited that perhaps it might have been somebody from the governor's camp that was spying on the prison trying to fill out the situation. Um, Then again, we thought, well, maybe it's, I don't know if we ever actually said this on the show. I I know I thought maybe it was the, the one prisoner that was still alive and we thought had died. Yeah, Andrew. Um, I guess now, knowing that they had written off the prison, that that wasn't somebody from the governor's camp, and that that one POV shot of somebody in the woods watching her was probably Andrew. And they pretty much said the same thing on Talking Dead, that they weren't really going to show in the show who it was, but that guessing it was Andrew was a safe bet. Okay. I don't watch the Talking Dead, so I don't get those little tidbits of information that you do. <laughs> no problem. One thing, uh, real quick, that, that they did this episode a number of times was they tried to make Rick's group 
seem like a formidable opponent. Like, they were building them up for next week when they face Woodbury. You have Michonne early on asks, um, what's her name? Uh, you guys cleaned out this whole prison by yourselves? You know, something to that effect. You guys recall that early in the... Be- uh, right, right, right. Right. And, and, and then Carl you get- says there, there was more. Right. Or somebody said there used to be more. Right. And then you get Glenn taunting Merle saying, we've been out on the road, you've been in here in this dungeon. Um, And then it happens again uh, when the governor says to Merle, your theory was debunked that we couldn't take the prison, these people did it. So it just, it seemed like they kept building up the fact that Rick's team can really go after these guys. You know, it's not going to be a slaughter since they have so many more people. Right. And, and this go, this is what I kind of want to talk about earlier, and this goes back to last week, I think, when we had the conversation about Haley and, and the bow on the wall and how she wasn't actually that good, or she was terrible, either way you want to look at it. And, and, and again, I think the point comes down to she may actually be among the better shots they have in Woodbury, for all we know. You know, it's Rick's group that is, you know, they're in formation, they know what they're doing, they have the experience. The governor's group has numbers, but their numbers might actually be you know, just a lot of people who don't have experience, don't have aim, and don't know what they're doing and are not prepared for something like this. So it's not necessarily going to put everything in Rick's group's favor. They still only have four people going in there, but it is going to imbalance the scales a little bit, at least enough to make, you know, next week's episode an inevitable uh, conflict between the groups more. I mean, I'm going to assume at this point that one group will win and the other group will lose, but at least the fight will seem believable and not a, how are they still alive against this crazy force that the governor has? Or the other side of the coin, how are, you know, Herschel, Beth, and Carol, and Carl going to defend against, you know, the scouting force that the governor has sent into the prison? They are pretty much screwed except for for, uh, Carl. I think Carl might be the one, Carl and Carol, because they mentioned she'd been, you know, a better shot over the last eight months. Maybe the two of them can hold off people for a while, but uh, that's going to be really interesting. And it's also going to negatively impact the one thing the governor has going for him on his side, which is numbers. The more people they send over to the prison, the less people they'll have to defend against Rick and company. Herschel's going to have to be locked in a cell with the baby. Yeah, I would not be surprised. Do you guys notice how how much uh, how well Herschel balances when he's not actually leaning on his crutches? That's because his his leg is actually there. Yeah, <laughs> and think. it just has a green sleeve over it. Right. I think that's uh, something that they're not really being very careful with. The beard is meant to signify what a billy goat he is and what an internal sense of balance he has. <laughs> okay, I'll go with that. <laughs> uh, so the, there's not too much left to the episode, but we do see Rick and the group sneaking up to the perimeter. Uh, under cover of darkness, where they're close enough that they can see the guards and they're hiding from them. And then, if I remember correctly, the camera, you know, zooms in to the people on the on the wall and then ducks in under the walls, so some type of crane shot. And uh, we see that Andrea is 30 feet away from Rick and the group, completely oblivious to them being there, and the same on their part, as she walks over to the governor's apartment, where she meets with the governor, and uh, they talk about the experiment. And this was, for me, I was kind of running in the back of my head, oh, wait, the governor is supporting Milton's experiments, at least from what we've inferred, because he wants to cure Penny, or he wants to believe that there's something in Penny's head that still makes her human. The moment she tells him 
that the experiment, you know, in her eyes failed, I still say it was inconclusive, but that it failed, is he going to snap? So this was actually more tense for me than I think it was actually meant to be. But she walks over, grabs a drink. Uh, he asks about the experiment. Did it work? She says no. And this is where I was on the edge of my seat. And instead, they went an interesting direction where it basically mirrors when he was, quote-unquote, comforting Maggie before he threw her at Glenn, which is uh, he, he, you know, embraces Andrea and basically does the same exact thing, pats her head and says, oh, it's all right, it's all right, it's over now, and the episode ends. Hey, have we seen the guide woman uh, that was sleeping with the governor just prior to Andrea and Michonne showing up? I don't think we've seen her since that episode. Hmm. Yeah, I, I agree. I think she's been somewhere else. Or dead. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> Who knows? I mean, for all we know, you know, everybody in the town is totally cool with the, you know, the governor having a, a whole harem. We don't have too much information on that whole angle yet. To, you know what? I think she might have been one of the people walking around when they were having the party. Like, I, I seem to remember maybe her walking up to the, uh, Michonne and, and uh, Andrea at some point and being like, hey, you going to the party? Or I may have made that entire thing up, but I'm not sure. It wouldn't surprise me, but I don't remember it explicitly. So that is the episode in full. Should we jump right into Buster ratings, guys? Okay. I will give this 4.25 balancing billy goats. <laughs> <laughs> I, I like I've, the last two or three shows have, have gotten better for me. Um, nothing really drove me crazy, which is a good thing. I thought there was really good tension. The, this Glenn stuff was... Fantastic in his chair fight with uh, the zombie. I wish he had a little more Scarlett Johansson Black Widow skill. I thought of that scene immediately from the Avengers. He doesn't have the curves for that. And uh, but that was that was good. The Maggie stuff was good. Uh, the experiments, everything was good. Much better for me. So I'm happy to raise my rating into the four area, four point two five. I will give it a solid four. Um, T dogs. I enjoyed it very much. Um, I'm trying to think of anything that really just jumped out at me that kept it from being higher than that. Uh, I can't. It, it it certainly, you know, wasn't disappointing. I think, like um, Jordan was saying, that one scene with the governor and Maggie w- really was disturbing, and it it kind of wigged me out. And I think maybe that's why I'm only giving it a four. Um, so I tend to wear my emotions on my sleeve. And, uh, you know, I was not, I was not in the same mood after that scene as I was when I first started watching the, uh, the episode, but, uh, I mean, it was good. The whole episode I enjoyed, um, there was nothing tremendously, you know, wrong with it. I thought maybe a little bit of wanting Michonne to offer a little bit more information. I kind of wanted that, but, uh, overall I'd say it was a good, strong, a solid episode and I'll give it a four. Four T dogs. I'll give this a four point five pairs of brown pants. Uh, this was one of the stronger episodes I thought of this season. I really enjoyed it a lot. My only problem with the whole episode was at the very beginning, where um, they kind of let Michonne go a little ways uh, by herself with a bullet wound because it's a whole bunch of walkers before they decide to go out and help. Um, that, that's like my only gripe with the, the internal logic of the whole show. I thought the the scenes with Rooker and, and Stephen Yu were great. Um, the, the the tension between the two of them. The, when he headbutts him and Merle just smiles and headbutts him back. Um, just brilliant stuff. Good character stuff all around. Um, 
I'm really enjoying the portrayal of the governor. I, I, I'm really warming to this portrayal. At first, I was a little uh, skeptical and hesitant, but I'm really liking the way um, he, he's being portrayed. Um, I'm, and this is a great setup for what's going to be a really kick-ass uh, season finale, or mid-season hiatus finale, or whatever they call it. So, four and a half pairs of brown pants. Four, four pairs of brown pants and one pant leg. I will give this one 4.75 uh, dog carcasses in hallways. Uh, again, I think the only thing that really detracted from the episode, possibly the crazy hobo with the shotgun, but I don't even know if that detracted because it was such a you know, WTF moment that I was, I was interested and enjoyed the scene, even though it was strange. Um, like everybody else said with the uh, Maggie governor stuff, it, it went just far enough to be very disturbing and get the point across without going too far. Uh, it was effective and it was definitely a different angle for the show to take. We, I mean, we're very we're very desensitized to the violence at this point, but that is a subject we have not dealt with in the show, and hopefully won't deal with too much in the future. But uh, it was necessary for the episode, and it was done very well. And yeah, I was happy with it in general. So four point seven five. What did the listeners think this week? Well, they agree with our estimation. Everybody seemed to really have a high rating for this show. Uh, Susan gave us four point five broken chairs. Uh, Renee from the uh, Devil's Advocate podcast gave us five out of five busters. Dane with a 4.5. Terry with a 4.5. Enjoyed when Merle left the zombie in there with Glenn. Um, excited for the worlds to collide, as he said. Uh, Mary gave it four busters. Really liked some parts, but thought others were weak. Uh, and yay for the baby being named Judith. Uh, Belinda gave us a 4.5, which is her highest rating she's given any show ever. Uh, Lisa also 4.5 cans of baby formula. <laughs> um, Luke Smith, uh, our good friend with the FX, uh, gave us uh, four out of gave it a four out of five. Great build up toward the mid season finale. Uh, Crystal with a four point seven five. Uh, Daryl Taylor for the uh, Daryl Taylor podcast was probably the lowest rating we had. No surprise there. Uh, three point five out of five. Andrea is an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, definitely high, high marks from our uh, Facebook group. If you'd like to join our Facebook group, the Walking Dead TV podcast is the name of it, and please uh, please join us there. It's a pretty pretty active group. We have a lot of fun. We talk about a lot of stuff there. Some of our Twitter busters, uh, we got uh, Crispy Lunkett says four busters. Good story, but too many stories for one episode. Too, too many, many commer- commercials. Yeah, too many commercial breaks as well. Whole episode felt very disjointed. Uh Jimmy in Georgia says, Walker's eating someone's guts, and then uh, AMC cutting directly to a KFC promo that says KFC Fresh is better is hashtag bad timing. Or the best timing. Yeah. I laughed and I remembered that, which is something I might not remember, you know, if the commercial was in a different spot. At least KFC's on the mind at this point after seeing that. Are you more likely to eat KFC now? I love KFC, so I'm always pretty likely to, <laughs> to eat it, but, uh, you know, the actual brand name is in my head now, so... I think that's a win. Deadbeat Hero says, is it me or are Carl's antennas on his hat getting bigger? Huh. I guess he's talking about the acorns, the gold Maybe acorns. Mothership is getting close. Jimmy and Georgia says four and a half busters. Glenn was awesome this week. Philip Heard, four and a half T-Dogs for last night's episode. The governor and Merle put the scum back in scumbag. <laughs> uh, that's gross. The <laughs> This Elisa says, I'm really wondering what the governor is going to do with Merle when he discovers that he lied about Michonne's death. That will be interesting. Whitney Green says, Four Busters. Glenn was freaking awesome. Also, I can't wait for the inevitable Daryl Merle meetup next episode. You think that'll happen next episode? I have a feeling they'll drag it out. 
I, I think they'll probably come into contact. I don't know if we'll get the full... I, I don't think it'll be resolved next week, but I think they'll probably see each other. Yeah. At least Maybe. from a distance. Our buddy Aaron Newworth sent us his thoughts, as always. He says... Hey, dudes, hope you all had a nice Thanksgiving, and I hope Jim is back. And he brought a cake he baked himself with pink frosting. Oh, that was a reference from the show, wasn't it? Yes. Yes, it was. Merle, Merle said that. Anyway, this was a this was a solid episode of The Walking Dead that was able to both set up what should be fairly explosive mid-season finale while also getting a lot done within the hour in terms of forwarding the plot. I'll be brief. Andrea's stuff is fine. That's all I want to say about that. I imagine some of you guys may have brought up Michonne. She's quiet again, which is frustrating. She's also up and ready to go pretty quickly after that gunshot wound, but still, I'm happy they just got on with it. She, Rick, Daryl, and Oscar head out and get to what is maybe the silliest scene since the well zombie. He didn't like Stewie. Aw. Hmm. Uh, Where they encounter random cabin dude. It's just a hilarious sequence to me at this point because of how bizarre it felt. I think we kind of all maybe agree with you on that one. The best stuff comes from the interrogation slash torture scenario, which was tense and gripping and made me love Glenn and Maggie as characters even more while continuing to appreciate the threat that the governor and Merle represent. Four out of five busters overall for this solid episode with an A for effort from Glenn who kicked Walker butt with the chair. Last note, I just wanted also to plug The Walking Dead game, which released its final episode this past week, and it's fantastic. Please check out my review for that game at whysoblue.com. B-O-U.com, which I have also posted on the Facebook page. Thank you, Aaron. Yeah, I read through his review, and it was really well written, and I, and I agreed with him on pretty much everything. I played through the last couple chapters that I had not finished over Thanksgiving, and absolutely fantastic game. I mean, I, I, I fully understand if you don't like point-and-click adventures. It is definitely not for everybody. So if it's not for you, you tried the first chapter, and you didn't like it, it's not going to change your mind. But if you like those style of games or you don't mind them, absolutely play through to the end. It a uh, great ending, some great uh, holy crap moments throughout. And uh, the way they wrap up the story and manage to bring up your past decisions, is a, it, it was a really cool way they did that. And I just loved it through and through. So I cannot wait for season two of the game, which they have said they are doing. So uh, look for that in the future, but definitely check this one out now. Yeah, Geek, Mag- Geek Magazine uh, made that their game of the year, uh, the Walking Dead video game, uh, uh, over Halo 4 and Call of Duty Black Ops and over a bunch of other games just because they really admired the storytelling in the game. They really admired the way your your chances, you know, that your decisions had weight and gravitas going forward in the game, and uh, they just really admired you know everything about that, so they made that game of the year. Uh, I'd have to agree. I really enjoyed it a lot. I thought it was a lot better than I expected it to be. The storytelling was just fabulous, and it fits so well with the rest of the Walking Dead universe, I thought, both comic book and show. So, uh, I mean, I mean, I definitely agree with Aaron's review as well of the game. I, I can't recommend that enough. And with the holiday season coming up, it's a great gift for one of your uh, video game playing zombie loving friends. The last chapter in particular, in you know the couple hours that it takes, give you some awesome, just utterly triumphant moments and some extremely sad moments that are played out so differently but work so well. I mean, it is absolutely everything you love about the show or the comic is in there. It is so good. If you like either one and you either you know, like or can stand point-and-click adventures, do yourself a favor. It's only like 20 bucks, 25 bucks. So worth it. So how much of a gap are we going to have between next week's mid-season finale and when they pick up again? The show comes back in February, uh, just in time. Yeah, they definitely – it's like the week after the Super Bowl, Brad. 
Okay. And time for February sweeps. And then we'll have another full eight episodes to go. It'll be the longest season yet. Have we as a podcast decided what we're going to do in the interim? Rest. <laughs> yeah. Uh, maybe get some sleep on Monday nights and Sunday nights. That'd be nice. I'm sure we'll come up with something. Uh, we were talking about maybe some end of the year awards or polls or, or things like that. I don't know if we're ready to go ahead and announce them just quite yet, but we have a couple of things at least planned. We've got that January wine and cheese tasting show. Right. Let's uh, let's not give full details about the idea that Jim proposed. Uh, but if you love kazoos, you are going to love it. Yeah, kazoos and sandwiches. Yeah, I mean, what's I don't know that? how. Who would have thought they could be combined in that way? This like isn't Cody dry. Said, what is greatest this is, in life? Yeah, this is a wet show. This is wet with humor. <laughs> this is this a is, just a goopy, sloshy show. Yeah, uh, it's moist. Jim's idea <laughs> that he sh- that he put forth on our email chain. Uh, I think we all pretty much dug it. So uh, we'll have to uh, iron out some details with that. But I think it'll be something that the listeners will will very much enjoy. Every few thousand years, I have an idea. Oh yeah, did we not mention that Jim was a time lord? Uh, Jordan. I would like to say... First rule about Time Lords, Jordan, is you <laughs> is don't talk lie. about Time Lords. No, it's that they lie. Did we discuss... Uh, we probably haven't, I don't think, unless I totally zoned out, which is possible. Have we talked about the fact that the governor has no idea that Michonne is alive? Like, I feel like, I feel like that's a bigger deal when this meeting goes down. When she jumps out of the shadows and Batmans him, he's going to be ticked. And he's already he's already doubting Merle. He, I mean, this episode is like, Merle, you know, I'm kind of wondering where your loyalties are going to lie and everything. And now, when he finds out Merle lied to him about Michonne, I mean, that's I mean, that's probably going to be the end of it between them. And that's what our, our Twitter follower said. You know, she wonders how, what his reaction is going to be when he finds out that Merle lies. So, yeah, it's, you know, he, the governor's got lots of things on his plate, John. So, he just, you know. He's not thinking about a dead woman. No, I'm and not then, saying that he should be thinking about it. I'm just saying I think we're all focusing on Daryl and Merle and what that's going to be like because that's going to be very cool when they finally meet up. But you also have to remember, like, the first time Michonne starts taking down the governor's men, it's going to be like, hey, Merle, you told me you killed her. Hey, look at that head. That kind of looks like it came off with a big old nasty blade, huh? I'm thinking that uh, I still believe that uh, – Michael Rooker's not making it out of this season. And it's either going to be... (laughs) It's either going to be because he aligns himself one way or the other. Like, he's either going to go on the governor's side and Daryl's going to have to kill him, or he's going to end up siding with Daryl and, like, the governor's going to take him down. I'm sure that he'll survive our mid-season finale. Yeah, the mid-season, I think. But I don't don't think he goes past this season for some reason. I don't know. I I, I still have a hard time feeling Michael Rooker will do a continuing television show. I have a feeling there will be several characters that don't survive this season. I heard that uh, wrestler C.W. Punk offered Michael Rooker a shot at the WWE title if he wants it. (laughs) Yeah, he was good on Talking Dead last night. Him and Yvette Nicole Brown, they had great chemistry. So that's our episode for this week. You can, of course, find all of our episodes and all of our contact information and many other fun shows at hhwlod.com or walkingdeadtv.com. We'll both take you to the same place. Don't forget to stick around after the ending here. We're going to talk a little bit about next week's episode, the title of the episode, and the brief synopsis we have, which is 
not even slightly spoilery, really. Uh, it's pretty much stuff you could have guessed. And then we also have a slightly spoiler discussion of a casting rumor that has gone out on the internet. So it is a rumor, but we will be discussing it, and we might mention a few things about the comic in passing. So you have been warned, but if you want to stick around and listen to that, be sure to. So until there's no more room left in hell and the dead walk the earth, remember, the beard symbolizes balance. Have a good week, everybody. Keep the scum out of your scumbags. Yeah, you soap. Yeah, but if they don't have scum in them, they're no longer scumbags. They're just bags. They're just bags. They're just bags. They're all-purpose bags. <laughs> all-purpose. You can use them for anything. Milk, groceries, spare change. <laughs> tea. <laughs> no, that would make it a tea bag. <laughs> oh. But I'm pumped. I was surprised nobody made the coin purse joke once I said spare change. Yeah, anyway. A banana hammock. There's plenty of uses for it. <laughs> keep, keep your douche in there. It's true. Holland Pepple, you stop naming bags. Anyway, so next week on The Walking Dead, episode 308 is entitled Made to Suffer. And the brief, brief, very predictable synopsis we have is Andrea steps up when the people of Woodbury are thrown into uncharted territory. A new threat arises at the prison. So that is episode 308. And now we're going to move into uh, a bit of a casting rumor. This has not been verified by AMC or anyone with the show, although it does seem like it uh, could possibly be for real. This came from tvovermind.com uh, on November the 19th. It says, with all of the head-spinning twists on The Walking Dead this season, one question that keeps popping up is, how are they going to top this? Somehow they keep doing it, and with a group Rick versus Woodbury confrontation looming, the question is louder than ever. How are they going to pull out something unexpected between now and then? Thanks to some illuminating reports from public filming, we have some answers. Warning, major spoilers ahead. A rock-solid on-set source has revealed a few tidbits about a few upcoming twists that many of you might have seen coming. As you may know, and we'll only talk about this one here, a favorite character from the comic book Incarnation of the Walking Dead is returning to the series. Many of you have guessed that the character is Tyrese from the comics. Given the timing of this character's arrival, and you are correct, we can now confirm that Tyrese will appear by the end of The Walking Dead's third season and is played by The Wire's Chad Coleman. There is not a ton of confirmed information as to how Tyrese will appear, but so far it appears that Tyrese will end up in Wardbury for the majority of the season. Hmm. Uh, Tyrese... uh, was one of my favorite characters in the comics. Um, there had been some back and forth between us at the beginning of the TV show that maybe uh, T-Dog was Tyrese because of T. What did we learn? You know, we didn't know what T meant until a few seasons, a few episodes later when he actually said his name, Theodore Douglas. But, um, yeah, I'm in, I'm interested to see uh, how this is going to happen. In the, in the comic, they they met Tyrese... During the prison stay, um, I don't think yeah, before he was, they got to the prison. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You're you're absolutely right. Before the prison, there are some really messed up, uh, interesting things that that happened with the Tyrese character uh, in the book, and um, I think we've all learned that you know the show is is taking different avenues, and I, I don't imagine we'll see these types of things happen to Tyrese in the show now. But uh, it is neat that uh, we're getting to see another character from the book come in. I'm, I'm looking forward to that. And if you look at a picture of Chad Coleman side by side with uh, a picture of Tyrese from the comic, 
they could be brothers. They are oh, pretty much identical. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Charlie Adler, it's almost like he was looking at that guy for inspiration. It's pretty awesome. Uh, yeah. <laughs> would be a, a casting choice, uh, an awesome casting choice if, if this, in, in fact, is correct. Again, this, being from The Wire, that is a great acting pedigree. Yeah, this is um, this is a rumor. You know, this is one website saying they got they have a rock solid source. So who knows? But um, I don't think uh, I don't think it's far fetched. I think it, you know this is a very real possibility. Tyrese in the comic is always a, a really um, favorite character of mine because he was kind of a sounding board for Rick. You know, what I mean, it's like a foil for Rick when Rick was a little too far off one end or the other. Tyrese kind of like was another alpha male who could kind of pull him in, but was still you know had Rick's back. You know, he's just a very uh, a cool character from the comic, and I hope they uh, they kind of uh, delve into that in the show as well. I was I always liked that character, and I was. I was saddened by his absence so far in the story, but hopefully they'll bring him in in a cool way later. Yeah, I think you hit it on the nail. He was definitely another alpha male. There was a time, you know, in the books when the two of them got along. There was a time when they when they didn't so much. Um, it was very interesting. I'll be very interested to see how uh, how they handle this in the TV show. So it's safe to say they're the little Vernon Shirley of The Walking Dead. Yeah. Uh, the um, Bob and Doug. Yay. Right. All right. Very cool. Uh, we can't wait to talk about the mid-season finale next week. And until then, have a good one, everybody. Good night. Later. doesn't even have a void that's a comic book joke all right hold on hold everything it's more of a reference than a joke well it certainly wasn't funny i'll give you that it was in the style of comedy